I always need plugging in. Quite a difficult transition, to be honest, but transition we must. I know this would uh, be Ellen's desire. And remember, Sarah read out from the Bible earlier about great men and women of faith that have gone before. So, Alan's run his race. So, Lord Jesus, I pray as I preached this morning, give me grace. Give us grace. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are open. And Holy Spirit, I pray you'd change lives for Jesus' glory. Amen. 1 Timothy in chapter 6. Chapter 6, just to let you know, if you are visiting with us this morning, we've been slowly working our way through a, a, a preaching series in a, in a letter to Timothy. It's, been, it's written by the Apostle Paul, a man named Paul, who planted loads of churches. He's writing to this younger leader, Timothy, at a place called Ephesus. And he's basically instructing Timothy how to lead a church, what principles need to be in place. I'm now on chapter 6, uh, we've jumped ahead a little bit. When Paul's back in a few weeks' time and he picks up the series again, he's going to be jumping back into chapter 5. So, so for some of you that are more astute than me and go, mm, hang on, hang on, where's chapter 5 gone? We're, we're coming back to that. Okay? So Paul's going to pick up the issue of widows and all that's in chapter 5. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at, really, a thing of honour, a subject matter of honour, I guess. A few weeks ago, Paul talked about how we honour one another as a church family, how we show honour for one another. And then last week, I talked about eldership, if you remember, what elders are and how we honour our elders, double honour and all that pizzazz. And now this week, it's honour again. So hold in your mind this subject of honour, and it will make sense the, title for today is Respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. There you go. Some of you know the song. All I know is R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's, that's what I do on the back of that, so I don't actually know the words, but R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's the title. Okay, they weren't the words, all right? And we're going to be covering three headings. We're going to be looking at two verses covering three headings. This is as far as my creativity stretches. Are you ready for this? What, how and why? Yeah. That's where we're going. Hold on to your seats, folks. Firstly, what? Tell you what I better do is read the verses, right? <laughs> oh, dear. I'm going to read with you so I don't come off being... This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So this is Paul writing, Timothy, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them, because they're brothers. Instead, they're to serve them even better, because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These, Timothy, are the things you are to teach and urge on them. Wow, Jesus, give me grace this morning. So it's what, how and why. Firstly, what? What 
kind of slavery is Paul referring to here? Now, to be honest, I'm not too sure because it doesn't overtly say, it doesn't say specifically, but he's talking about masters, he's talking about slaves and masters. In, in the ESV, which is a translation, in the study Bible of the ESV, the writer says, Paul seems to be addressing Christian slaves or bond servants, people who are either under unbelieving or believing masters. Now the term slave or slavery conjures up all sorts of images in our minds. As soon as I say the word slave or slavery, your minds, like mine, might ping to one extreme or another. Because it has all sorts of negative reactions. It stirs up all sorts of emotions and associations within us. Whether, so whatever we, whenever we think of slaves, we tend to go ping, okay, I'm thinking of that camp. I'm thinking of... Uh, African slave trade or I'm thinking of sex trafficking or the kidnapping of people to be forced into labour manual labour that kind of enforcement that's where our mind goes now I'm not going to give a ton of examples because there are so many now I don't think this text is advocating that kind of slavery I don't think Paul is saying this is the kind of slavery or this is the kind of... It's not advocating it in any way. The Bible, I believe, would condemn any form of slavery that looked to force itself on another human being, that looked to condemn and oppress and abuse another human being. I I believe the Bible would condemn it. I think the the earliest disciples taught against it. I think Jesus' own teaching would have condemned it. I think it's utterly against the heart of God. If we are able to say he is a good God and a God of love, then I just think it's against that kind of God. If you remember a few weeks ago, a guy called Andrew Wilson came to speak here. Now, Andrew is a very, very good Bible teacher. I'm sure many of you would agree. He's a great writer. He's a great thinker. And I looked on a blog that Natalie found me And Andrew gave some helpful reasons to why this kind of entrapment or forced slavery, sex trafficking, abuse, that kind of slavery would be wrong. And I just drew out four principles. Very quickly, this is why. Firstly, all human beings are made in the image of God. That's every human being. So anything that treats people as subhuman is utterly unthinkable. Andrew writes. Secondly, in Christ, slaves are equally children of God. They are as equally a child of God as a free person. It says that in Galatians, in Colossians, in 1 Corinthians. So free people have no more value or access to this heavenly father than a slave. Thirdly, enslaving people is evil because it's stealing them. It breaks the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. And the law was laid down precisely for this sort of behaviour. It says that earlier in 1 Timothy. And fourthly, this is what Andrew writes, any behaviour which involves sex outside of the covenant of marriage is ungodly. So prostitution, let alone the forced prostitution of young women and boys, forced against their will, is ungodly. And this is my own one I chucked in. Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. 
And if you remember, he came to set free the captive. So that's the gospel. The gospel is setting the captives free. So I think we have overwhelming evidence in the Bible and overwhelming evidence in what we know of God, the nature of God, the character, the heart of our God, that any form of slavery that looks to entrap another human being is wrong. But Paul is not addressing, like I've said, what form of slavery is right or wrong, so I want to shelve that. He's addressing something different. This is where we're going. He's saying there is slavery. Slaves, obey your masters. Slaves who are under the yoke of slavery, give your master full respect. So he's recognising that there is slavery, so I'm not sure what kind of slavery, but I think what he's dealing with is the heart. He's saying, whatever you're going through, I want to deal with the heart. And I'm going to come back to this on the second point in just a few moments. Another meaning for the word slave or slavery that we're looking at today is bondservant or servant. As I've said, you use the word slave and you go, oh no, someone that's been kidnapped. But you use the word servant and you instantly start going, someone that's working for. Might be owned by, but working for. 1 Timothy 6.1, it says, all who are under this yoke of slavery they should consider their masters worthy of full respect. What does yoke mean? And it, likewise, if you like, not an egg, not an egg yoke, not if you're under that yoke, that'd be weird. A yoke was something that was put, it's like a heavy crossbeam, a wooden beam that was put across animals to help them plough in the right direction. They were connected together. There was a wooden bar that was placed across sometimes a, a, a greater animal and a lesser animal, but this bar was placed across their necks and their heads were put in ropes and it connected them together and they ploughed in one direction. So it meant that those animals were connected, no getting away from each other. So when we read the term yoke of slavery, all who are under the yoke of slavery, it helps us understand that we're referring to a master and a servant that are connected, yoked, joined together. So where the master goes, the slave needs to follow. So wherever the slave goes, it's in line with his master's will. The master wants to plough this way, the slave is yoked to him, connected. Okay, boss, this is the way we're going. Let's look at this in a different way. We're all slaves. Every one of us in this building is a slave to a greater force. There's two camps that you're going to be enslaved to this morning. Two bosses that you're going to be working for. Outside of Jesus, the Bible tells us that we are slaves to a master called... You can say it. Sin. Outside of Jesus, anyone outside of Jesus, the saving reach of Jesus, is yoked to sin. That's what the Bible teaches. Connected to. Sin has a hold over you like a kidnapping tyrant. He has oppressed you. He has kidnapped you. He is evil. He's an evil dictator and he's looking to punish you in every way. We're trapped by this one called sin 
outside of Jesus. One that never, ever lets go. And do you know what this master does? He blinds us. He goes, no, 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 we're not. We need to be freed from this slave master and Jesus is our only escape, our only hope. He is our rescue. He is our freedom, our only freedom. Jesus came to destroy the power of sin and this is how he did it. He went to the cross, as we sang, he went to the cross of Calvary 2,000 plus years ago and he knew all of us by name and he took all of our junk on his shoulders and he died on the cross defeating that slave master. That master needed to be killed. That was our only escape. We needed to be separated from him and Jesus did it. It's good news, folks. Jesus has released those that have turned to him from this slave master never to be owned by him again. It says in the Bible that those that are in Jesus are dead to sin. I am dead to it. I still make mistakes, but I'm dead to sin. That slave master has been destroyed. Hallelujah. But now I have been joined with Jesus, a completely new master. And I tell you, I've been serving this master for 11 years, and he's a cool boss. He's an amazing master. Because he serves me in love. That's the flip side of this coin. Flip side? I got a little bit uh, West Country then. <laughs> Romans 6.22 says, We have been set free from sin and are now slaves to God, owned by a new master. So we've been yoked with Jesus. That's what I want you to see. But it gets better than this, folks. It says in the Bible also that we are no longer slaves, but sons sons that's the beautiful news of the gospel it just keeps getting better and better we we don't just step into salvation we step into sonship we go thank you Jesus you've saved me for all my sin but now I'm known as a son and I can know you as father all because of Jesus so it says in the bible we are no longer slaves but sons and we can know God as father Abba Father, we've received adoption. It tells us that. In Galatians, in Romans, the spirit of adoption. New identity as a son. Security with a God who loves us forever. And an inheritance to come. What did we pray earlier for Alan? That inheritance to come is sealed for you. If you are in Jesus, if you step out of this building today and get nailed by a bus... You go directly to be with Jesus for all eternity. That's your inheritance to enjoy him forever. I better move on, I'm going to stay there. So when you understand who you are as a son and who you serve, a father in heaven, it starts to just permeate your life. It changes you. It just does. It fights against legalism. What do I mean by that? I must obey, I must obey, I must obey or else God will whack me. No, it says I want to obey because God loves me. He's my father. When you know who you are and you know who he is, it oozes into every relationship. So whether you are a slave or whether you are free, you can act and respond in a completely new way. This is point two, how. How. How should we act as slaves? How should we act? 
to contextualise this, we are living in Hastings, get that right, 2012. Back in those days, it would have looked completely different. But I want you to have in your mind, we all serve people. I'm telling you that there's a greater boss, so you're either under the greater boss sin or the even greater boss Jesus. But under those bosses, you're going to be serving all sorts of other bosses. So I want you to think of employee, employer, or server and servee. Those kind of things, just working for people. Whatever it is, armed forces, schools, factories, whatever it might be. How should slaves act? There's principles here. I'm not saying that we're all going to be enslaved. But there's principles says, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters of this, worthy of full respect. That would have challenged their ears back then. That challenge should challenge us today. This is relevant for all of us. There's a principle here, and this is a principle. To whomever we serve or work for, we treat them with full respect. Respect to whomever, whomever. I have the privilege of working with Sue Butler, and I'm sure we annoy Sue on a daily basis. Sue, I don't suppose you could get this done because Sue is like the funnel of the church. Every she's better than a funnel, but everything comes through Sue, and she's de-spinning so many plates. Do you know Sue is worthy of honour? Because she's just like, for the gospel, let's do it. Let's go. So whomever you serve, be they a tyrant, a grumpy boss, whoever it is, we say, I serve you with full respect. We need to let our lives reflect the one we belong to. It says in 1 Peter, we live as servants of God. I want to say that again. Friends, family, Live as servants of God. We've got police officers here, which I think is brilliant. Serve as servants of God that carry mace and nightsticks. (laughs) Heavenly mace. Whatever you do, serve, live as servants of God. Now, the issue of slave and master comes up several times in the New Testament. It really does. When I was studying this, I was like, oh, crumbs, it's there, it's here, it's here. I can't get away from it. I can't just put my own thoughts and feelings into it. I've got to see what the Bible teaches. It comes up all over the place with the same instructions of how slaves are to treat their masters or their bosses. In Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Peter, all saying... Pretty much the same thing. Slaves, obey. Right. Slaves, submit. Okay. Slaves, treat your bosses with full respect. You see, it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. It's an attitude of the heart. Because it's really challenging. Even as I'm speaking this out, I'm feeling challenged myself. What do I think about this? Really? Even them? Yeah. Even them. It's a hard deal. The Bible never promises us an easy ride here on earth. 
It never promises that things are going to go wonderfully swimmingly for us. That's the age to come. That's the heaven that's coming. That's the kingdom that's on its way. It's come, but it's fully going to come when we either go to be with him or Jesus returns. That's the new day. Remember when Terry Virgo came to preach not long ago, there's a light that's dawned. We can see it. It's in the horizon and we're working towards it. Like Sarah said, we are ploughing on. We're persevering. We see that light. We lose loved ones, but we see that light and we say, I'm going after that light because I knew a new day is coming. A new day has dawned and it will fully dawn. But here on earth, it doesn't go swimmingly for us. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Who's had trouble? No one's had trouble here. Most hands went up. Jesus says, good, good, you've recognised that. In this world, you will have trouble, but then there's a beautiful flip side of that coin. Ping, but take heart. I have overcome the world. At the cross, he cries out, it's finished. He's overcome. People will upset us. People will wrong us. People will take advantage. People will look to harm and steal from us and mimic and mock and slander us, treat us badly. Persecution is still happening right across the world. There are mean and cruel bosses out there. There was an enemy at work. Do you remember when Andrew was here and he pointed behind the scene and he said, just to let you know, there's a war going on backstage. That's how we need to see our lives. That there's, an, it, there's a battle going on behind the scenes that's raging. The ultimate victory is won, but there's skirmishes still happening. We are not responsible of, for other people's behaviour. I don't condemn bad behaviour, of course not, but I'm not responsible for the cruelty that goes on across the world. I am only responsible for my actions, for my behaviour, and it's how I respond to things. Everything we do, we do it as those that live as servants of God, knowing that whatever we do and whoever we work for, we are ultimately working for a greater boss, Jesus Christ. I'm going to come back to that on my final point. There are two things at play here that we need to be aware of. Attention. That it's not going to surprise you, but it's real. Two things. With one hand, we go, we submit, we obey, we fully respect those over us. But as well, we stand up for injustice. That that is not right. We stand up for what is right. Do you hear that? So with one hand we go, I, I submit, I serve you, and I love you, and I honour you, and I, I respect you. But with the other hand, we say, but I'm standing up for the gospel. I'm standing up for seeing the, the prisoners released. But with this tension, we do both in a godly way. We value people, whoever they are, each step of the way. It is never right to fight fire with fire. We've got a firefighter that's a member of the church here. He would ne- Brian would never say, oh, you've got a fire. What you need to do is put some more fire on that fire. <laughs> you don't pour gasoline on a fire. I did that once to help my barbecue get going. Boom, that's a fire. <laughs> you don't fight fire with fire. You don't 
respond like for like. So if someone's abusive, you don't abuse back. If someone's irritated, don't be irritated. If someone's unloving, don't be unloving. If someone's aggressive, we're not to be aggressive. We don't fight fire with fire, like for like. We respond in a godly way. I know it's difficult, hence why I said this is a challenging word. But we don't fight fire with fire. We act in the opposite spirit. I'm absolutely not advocating any form of slavery that harms another human being. So what I don't want you to hear is that I'm okay with that. Like I said, I've camped that to say it's bad in every way. I'm looking at our hearts here this morning. And if you push me, well, you don't even need to push me. I would say that slavery, when someone's entrapped, sex trafficking, uh, kidnapping, anything like that, forced labour, is awful. Absolutely awful. And what people have to face across the world is awful. What I'm saying is that we have a duty to the kingdom. We have a duty to a king, to heaven. That's our place of residence, if you're a Christian here. You have a duty to that kingdom. No matter how difficult it is to act as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, those that carry his name, those that are salt and light, and our responsibility in all things, I want to say it again, in all things, is to respond in love. In everything. Even that, even that. We are to love people. I'll prove it to you in a minute. Not just the good master or the bosses, but also the bad ones as well. The Bible doesn't seem to distinguish. I I don't read my Bible and it says, oh, that's how I respond to good people. I'm good to them. But this is how I respond to bad people. I can treat them a bit badly. It should just smack us in the face, folks. This is how you respond to everyone. You love them. You love them. The gospel radically transforms a person's life and it takes you from one degree of glory, the Bible says, to another. You're just being changed one degree to another to another. Eleven years on for me, I'm not the same San. And for you also, you've been changed, slowly chipped away, so slowly sanded. My heart still... When someone wrongs me, my heart still goes, ow, that hurts and I want to get you back. That's my initial response. But I know there's a greater work going on within me that goes, come back. Just, just come back a little bit. Wind your neck in just a bit and let's work together on this. The gospel radically changes you. It takes you from nominal Christianity to Christianity. It takes you from not believing to believing. It takes you from not loving to loving It does wonderful things. It turns you inside out, upside down. And because of Jesus, you can live in a completely different way. You can. You might be here this morning saying, no, I can't. And I want to say back, you can. It's not an Orville time. I wish I could fly right up to the sky. You can, I can't, you can. I don't want to get into that sort of debate. I just want to trump you with the truth. You you can. You can live in a different way if you know Jesus. When we look at our lives as those that serve him, our behaviour follows. I want to read you an extreme 
in one piece, so you don't need to turn there. I'll read it over us. I'll read it for us. So 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to these words. Slaves, verse 18 onwards. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those that are good and considerate, uh uh-oh, here it comes, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? How is that? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. This is it. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, we are healed. When we take on the same heart as Jesus says, he's left us with an example to follow. We can follow in his footsteps. And it said there, just a few verses, there was no deceit found in his mouth. So put yourself in this camp. When someone wrongs you, when someone looks to trap you, when you feel enslaved, is there deceit in your mouth? There was no deceit found in Jesus' mouth. No dishonesty, no looking to mislead. And it also says when insults were hurled at him, he didn't retaliate. This is what I find challenging, folks. When insults were hurled at him, he didn't hit back. He didn't look to settle the score. He didn't look to get even. And when he suffered, he made no threats. I'm going to get you. When he suffered... He made no threats. And ultimately, he took the blame. It says, he himself bore our sins. He took our sins on his shoulders. And at the cross, everything was exchanged. Jesus was falsely arrested, captured, beaten and tortured, finally executed on a Roman cross. And while he was hanging there in agony... What was his cry from the cross? Forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We didn't know what we were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. They were killing the Lord of the universe. And he hung there. Their their eye level. Can you stand, Steve, just for a moment? He would have been their kind of height, not up there in the sky. And as they were mocking him and spitting at him, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. So we cannot wriggle out of this. I tried to find some wriggle room. Yeah, but how can you respond? I can't find it. Jesus, lay aside his rights. He lay aside his life for the sake of you and for me. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Ultimately, remember this. However you're treated, however anyone in the globe is treated, God is judge. And it says in Romans, it is mine to avenge. 
I will repay, says the Lord. So we are not to do evil with evil, we would overcome evil with good. I want to move on to the last point. I had a bit more to say then, but I think I've, I've nailed the point. Why? Why? Why should we do this? 1 Timothy 6.1 says, So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered, it's all for the sake of the gospel. It's all for the sake of God's beautiful name. It's all for him. It's all for his sake. So that we are seen to be genuine, authentic, real. So it's seen to be real. So that a watching world can look on and say, wow, those guys are completely different. We are called, like I said, to be salt and light. So are you salt and light? Are you salty? Are you lighty? Not no likey, no looky, you know, not, not that. I can hear some of you going to... Are you salt and light? Are you positively different in your workplace? Now, what I'm not saying is, are you, different? are you positively different like you're a man and you go in dressed as a woman? Or you, you're, you're really negative, you're different. I'm talking about being positively different. Are you gospelly different? Are you different because of the gospel? Positively different. Or are you gossiping with the others? Whatever you do. Are you running down the boss with the others? Are you talking about the boss with the others. See, if we disrespect people, we bring discredit on God's name. And I think this gives people freedom to slander us. I'm not saying it's right, but I think, of course, we're giving them ammunition to say, well, who is your God? Who are you? Really? You act like that as a Christian? Wow, that's interesting. I think we fuel people. We're almost saying, here's the petrol. Just pour it on. Just pour it on if we are no different than anyone else. Personal experience. I worked at Marshall Tufflex for a few years with a guy here called Gary Burgess. When I worked at Marshall's, and, and during that period, I met some real Christians. It was amazing. I had my own idea on what Christianity was, but I actually met Gary, a real Christian. And he didn't run the company down. He wasn't a weird guy, but he didn't run the company down. He was different. He spoke positively. He was our shift leader and he looked to lead our whole gang positively. It was utterly different. It was a great experience. He was a Christian, a real one. And just to finish, this is a good way that I think we should think about why. In Ephesians 6 it says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not man, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not man. This is the principle. Everything we do, we do it as if we're working directly for Jesus. He is the MD. He is the managing director. He, shoot, he's the managing director of the whole universe. So he is the managing director. That's who we're working for in all that we do. So our work for others is ultimately a service to him. Do you ever look at it that way? Whether you're a single mum at home, you're serving the Lord. Whether you are a lollipop lady, you're ser- or man, serving the Lord. 
Whether you're doing teas, serving the Lord. Whether you're a bus driver, serving the Lord. A police, serving the Lord in all that you do. So in all situations and circumstances, I want to leave us with this Christian slogan. What would Jesus do? WWJD, it's not a drink, it's a slogan that you see on people's wristbands and, ah, you're a Christian, it's like the fish you see in the car. Ah, Christian, another one. And you follow them. You shouldn't, but you do. Where are they going? They're driving weird. Yeah, it's because there's a fish on the car. What would Jesus do? And I know it's easy to say, but I find myself thinking that as I was preparing. What would Jesus do? How would he respond? So however I'm being treated, whatever is happening to me, what would Jesus do? In hardship, what would Jesus do? I'm being mistreated by the boss, what would Jesus do? I've been forgotten, what would Jesus do? I've been abused, what would Jesus do? When things don't go my way, what would Jesus do? See, I think bosses will be mean. I think we will say and do to each other some crazy things, some very hurtful things. Our role is to respond with an opposite heart, one that reflects the King, Jesus, one that reflects him in everything. Sometimes that might be standing up for things that are unjust, because Jesus did that. But other times, (laughs) other times it might just mean head down, mouth shut, crack on. Jesus did that as well. Head down, mouth zipped, crack on. If we genuinely take this on board, I think society will be affected. I'm all about changing the atmosphere and the vibe and the the culture of Hastings and Bexhill and the surrounding areas. Are you up for that? Are you? I'm up for it. I want to see this town radically changed, where crime is reduced, where, where loneliness is... Is, is, is no more when the broken are restored where sin is not reigning but Jesus is reigning I want to see the culture and the vibe and the, the atmosphere change and I think if we however many hundred here today if we genuinely took on board in every circumstance and situation in this how would Jesus respond what would he do you have to think in the moment It's all good sitting here, all nice and comfortable, but in the moment, when someone looks to abuse and oppress, how would my saviour respond? What would Jesus do? WWJD. WWJD. I almost want that to be ingrained into your heads. So if we choose to live as servants and ambassadors of the kingdom, I want to pray that the kingdom of God would crash in on Hastings. Can we stand together? We're going to close. In Matthew, Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before men. This is why, that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So Lord Jesus, I pray you'd give us ears to hear, hearts that are open and hearts that are willing to obey and follow you. Lord, you've set us a great example. You said that we are to follow in your footsteps. We're to be little Christs wherever we go. Ambassadors for the kingdom. Salt and light. Those that have a new nature, a new heart. Lord, we pray that Hastings would change. 
We pray that Becks Hill would change, that Rye, that Winchelsea, St Leonard's, that would change for the Gospel. I pray would you equip us, not in legalism, I pray for grace upon grace upon grace to pour out over us. Please give us your grace. I pray we'd serve you as sons, knowing that we're loved and accepted by the Father for all eternity. And as we let our light shine, I pray people would see you and praise you in heaven. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. Have a great rest of Sunday. For many of you, we're meeting again next Sunday, so if you're around and not on holiday, it'd be great to see you. Have a great rest of day and see you next week. God bless.